Welcome to Badgedamia, a podcast so educational two professors could be hosting it. Hi, I'm Dr. Danielle Dickenview, and joining me is Dr. Bill Pennyman. Welcome to Badgedamia. Today is a little different than normal. Uh, Dr. Bill is on holiday. I like that I just said that and it makes me sound British. Um, but since Bill is on holiday, um, and we do have uh, something special planned for today. And in the spirit of the holiday season, we are celebrating family today with two special guests, Dr. Tom Hall, a professor in the Department of Communication and Media, and he specializes in organizational communication. And joining us is his daughter, McCullough. McCullough, you're a grad student, right? Yes, I am at the University of Iowa. What are you studying? I'm in the clinical mental health counseling program in my first semester. Awesome. Congrats. You can probably offer us some special insights about the minds <laughs> of the bachelor participants. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, do you all have any fun Thanksgiving um, traditions? Are you all big Black Friday people? For listeners, we are recording on on Black Friday, so. I've always been more of a Cyber Monday person. I'd much rather be able to stay at home and order online than go to the chaotic stores. Yeah, and I, way back when, when I was a manager for Walmart, uh, and Black Friday wasn't quite as out of control as it is today, but I think probably around Thanksgiving 94, I was like, I never want to go in a store on Black Friday ever again, <laughs> because it's just, as chaotic as it is from a customer standpoint, uh, when you're working there too, it's just it's just insane leading up to it and then the events of the days. And it's only gotten, gotten more extreme, I would say, in the past 25 years. I just feel like it keeps stretching. You know, it used to be Black Friday. Then it was like Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And now I feel like we've had an entire month of Black Friday sales. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's getting out of hand. But so tell me a little bit about um, your your relationship with the Bachelor franchise. So, McCullough, you're a fan, yeah? Yes, I've watched since high school, um, and I watch all the, you know, different versions. Bachelor, Bachelorette, and then Bachelor in Paradise has always been my favorite. I think it's the most entertaining, in my opinion. I agree with you. That's a wonderful opinion to have. <laughs> I love, I, I think Bachelor in Paradise, it's, it's entertaining. Um, and, and Tom, are you an avid Bachelor watcher? Um, I, I'm not. But uh, I will say that about three years ago, McCullough was going to study abroad in Norway and we had driven to Minneapolis, and it was in January, and it was the night that The Bachelorette was premiering for whatever season that was. And so she asked if we could watch that together before she flew out on like a 5 a.m. flight, and I'm like, well, yeah, when your daughter asks you something like that, of course you do it, and I would not say that it took hold, because I didn't continue to watch each season, but I know she's interested in it, and I know it takes up some space on our DVR from time to time, so I, I've asked her about it, and then when I heard you were doing this, I'm like, well, yeah, I can, I can. So I'm, I'm about three episodes into The Bachelor, and my Bachelorette would be my the extent of my knowledge. 
Well, yeah. we're, we're excited to have both of you here today to offer that father-daughter perspective for us. We hope that this was a bonding experience for the two of you all. <laughs> so each episode we do, oh, that's so sweet. They just hugged for, for those of you um, that are listening. So we start out each episode with a question. And I thought I'd do this one a little bit differently, though I'll, I'll answer it myself as well. So if your parents were a band, McCullough, what would you call them? So we kind of were talking this over with the whole family, and I have to give my brother credit for this one, but he came up with the bell and the bard. Oh, the <laughs> bell and the bard. So tell me, like, why, why is that the name? Um, well, my parents are from Arkansas, and so, you know, my mom's kind of a southern belle, and then my dad being a professor. And I love it. Yeah, so Ryan and I, we had it. I was like, Ryan, if we were a band, like, what would we, what would we call our band? And you know, we had some really terrible ideas. You know, like poop in the bathtub, or you know, we have two young kids, and I feel like we're just constantly dealing with like bodily fluids. But um, uh, we ultimately settled on our band name would be called Elevated Kisses. <laughs> <laughs> and it's elevated kisses because my husband is a giant. Um, now you all, you all are tall humans as well, aren't you? How tall are you? Tall? My mom. No, our, our yeah, my wife Romney is. A, it's a little bit similar to you and you and Ryan. I mean, I'm sick. I'm probably a foot taller than she is. Yeah, I I empathize with Romney. Like all of my, you know my in-laws, they're so tall. And they're always like, you're so short. And I'm like, I am a normally sized human being. You all are just freakishly tall. So one of our traditions though, is we have a little stool in the kitchen um, that I use to get in the cupboards and stuff. But uh, uh, when, when we used to go to work, when we would come home, I'd stand on my stool and I'd give Ryan a little peck to, to greet him when he got home. So Elevated Kisses is our our geeky band name. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. That's great. <laughs> so, so this episode started out with music and, and Tom, I know you, you're a music guy. You like music, don't you? I love music. Absolutely. <laughs> so I can't imagine that the start of this episode was disappointing in any sort of <laughs> um, but so they start out, um, before we sort of jump into that group date with music, if you were to describe this episode in one word, how would you describe it? I would go with bold. Oh. They really emphasize how much Tasha loves bold moves. And yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. One word for me, that was a tough one because I wanted to say water scorpions, but that's actually two words. That was like, the, that's probably the thing that's hung with me the most uh, in the past 72 hours since viewing the episodes. But you know, the integrity question at the end was a pretty compelling sort of uh, uh, little, so maybe integrity. I certainly would not use that to describe the show as a whole personally, but it came up in this episode. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I was trying to, I, I actually forgot to prepare this in advance. So I'm kind of doing this on the fly, but I think mine would be genuine. I felt like we heard some of the most genuine conversations that I think I've ever heard on the bachelor. It was, you know, at one point I think Bill sent me a text and he's like, 
I don't know how to do funny tweets. It's like so serious this week. And of course there are plenty of non like less serious moments, which we will definitely get to. But um, I, there were some uh, really, I think, genuine moments on this episode. But um, less genuine moments. Let's talk about this group date where the men are asked to write and perform a love song to Tasha. So how'd you feel about their performances? Thoughts? Who excelled? Who was really bad? Did anyone excel? I thought Ivan's was sweet. I liked his. So you agreed with her winner? Yes. Yeah. I thought she made a good choice. I think I probably would have gone with Damar over Ivan. Um, Ivan did a really good job, and I'm glad she selected him. And his was more of a poem, and I know that music is often just a poem set to music. You know, I get that sort of angle of it. But what was this song called, Mocha Latte or something like that? I thought it actually and, – and I don't think he played any chords, but he had his fingers like he was playing a chord and then strummed the guitar as he sang Mocha Latte. So I think that the better song um, was, was that one. But I, I certainly like both of them a lot. Yeah. I really hope musical talent isn't something she needs in a relationship because that group was really bereft of <laughs> musical talent. I've like, I like kept thinking about, you know, McCullough, you'll understand this reference. I kept thinking about poor Jed who had to be at home being like, I would have rocked that. You all made so much fun of me for singing to Vienna. And like, you know, like um, they were like, I was just shocked that really no, I was expecting one person to just bust it out. Mm -hmm. There usually is. And there was no one. Like, well, I mean, but you know, yes, I, I'm a music guy to the extent that I, I love to listen to music and I love the lore behind music. So asking someone to write a song in an hour, that's a pretty difficult proposition, even if they do have a voice that can sing. I mean, what in history you've got what, like Dolly Parton supposedly wrote Jolene and I will always love you in the same afternoon. I mean, that, but that's lightning in a bottle. That doesn't happen that often. And then to expect some guys from the bachelor, even our Harvard boy, right. <laughs> you know, to so come up about with Bennett rapping. <laughs> that was the whitest, most expected rap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love the guy's facial expressions. Wow. <laughs> that was one of my favorite part about that segment is like the guys would perform their songs and then they would like pan over to the guys watching and they'd all be like, <laughs> and then they go and it like all of them were terrible. So <laughs> yeah. And who, who's the guy that um, pulled out the accordion uh, had a terrible oh, song and then got a hold of a mandolin and broke his string almost immediately. I mean, I kind of felt for him. What's Blake, his name? Blake had the accordion. Blake. Yeah, and you know, I think he was kind of trying to play this sort of playful angle. Oh, I'm really going to be bad at this, so I'm going to like play every instrument and I'm just going to be amusing. Mm -hmm. And it it just didn't quite land. <laughs> um, but so Ivan wins. He so he gets to have this one-on-one -on -one with Tasha and it it's a pretty epic date really. Um for the franchise. So the day begins with a series of games like the floor is lava and twister. Um, I know the floor of lava is a hot game at our house right now. Sure. Um, so we 
the kids love it and our basement is scattered with all sorts of toys that they they jump to um so <laughs> one thing that kind of cracked me up bill bill was running the tweet game he normally does um, on our Twitter account, and he, he was like, I think that they just chose whatever games, like, the front desk had <laughs> at La, La Quinta, so uh, that kind of cracked me up. Um, are you all game people? <laughs> <laughs> My dad is the biggest board game person, I know. <laughs> uh, any big, any big, did you play over the holiday? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, we played uh, Isle of Cats yesterday. That's a fun little one that the McCullen Harrison and I played. And and then um, we've been playing this new one called Detective Club. It's a little bit of a social deduction game with images. And it'd be really great with six to eight people. But we've been playing it as, as a family of four. So, yeah, we love games. And I, I always have, even when games were really kind of bad as a youth, like careers and life and Monopoly that were just – they were what you played because that was what was available. But, yeah, we, we definitely got better choices uh, these days, I would say. Do you think that game is a good – like playing, a, playing games is a good first date idea? Ooh. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think – that's why I like the lava stuff because it was playful. And I think, you know, if you can find something like that versus – I mean, I'm not going to break out Feast for Odin that's rated like a four out of five on complexity on a first date with someone. I mean, who would ever, how would you ever find someone that way, I guess? But but, yeah. but um, I think it's good if it's the right game and sort of a lower complexity level. I think you could, uh, you know, not like you're judging someone based on their intelligence, but you're just having fun, yeah. I think, is a cool option. You agree? I love the date. And like you said, it was really unusual for the franchise because it was so laid back and felt like something you'd actually do in the real world. Whereas they're always on these over the top dates, like helicopter rides. And obviously those aren't really possible with COVID, but yeah, I thought it felt a lot more real than they typically do. Yeah. I really appreciated, you know, I think a game is this thing that allows you you have a task that you're working on kind of together, but if you want to stop and pause and have a conversation, you can. Um, I am sort of a game person. Like I, if you ask me to play a game, I'm always like, nah, I'm like not in the mood. Right. But if you give me playing a game, I typically enjoy it, but I don't get competitive with games. Like I just don't care if I win or lose. <laughs> so, um, I'm not maybe as invested. I'm not a very invested player. Um, but I do think that it's a really, like, a really smart first date sort of um, idea. Um, so, oh, I will also say I was shocked because there's, like, this long – you know, so they always have food on these dates. And I guess that like one of the rules is that you should like never actually yeah. eat the food. Yeah. And they were eating the ice cream. And by the way, that was like the big, oh, massive, massive pile of ice cream. Yeah, and it started like dripping over everything else. That was bothering me. <laughs> it's dripping off the yeah. side. The poor people that had to clean up the room after that day. Between well, the feathers. Feathers. Yeah. I mean, that's. You know, and that's where you realize these little moments where you're like, oh, that was that was a little staged because they clearly cut open the pillows to make this effect. So, like, they knew that they were going to kind of do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I always like those little moments that 
remind us, like kind of break us from, so uh, a little lecture here, I guess. Um, in there's a, a performance theorist named Bertolt Brecht who talks about alienation effect. And that's basically this idea that when we watch things, we can get caught up in the emotions of like a performance or a the he's talking about theatrical performances, but that there are ways that you can stage things to sort of create what he calls alienation. And so it reminds you that what you're seeing is actually a performance and asks you then to engage critically. And so I kind of like those little moments in the show where you're like, oh, that pillow was cut ahead of time. They knew this was going to happen. So I, I, I just appreciate that. Um, is it is it normal, as, as someone who doesn't watch a lot of, hasn't watched a lot of The Bachelorette, is it normal to have a single day this early in the thing? I mean, because it went on for 30 minutes. Like, I was re-watching this morning. How about yep. that? And, I mean, that ran from, like, 15 minutes in to almost 45 minutes. And so almost 30 minutes of the show, you know, what, 20 minutes of actual camera footage was devoted to their their day, with the exception of maybe a few cutaways to, like, the other guys talking about it at the pool or something like that. But is it normal to have a date that long uh, this early in the show? What do you think, Magoa? I think maybe they did give a little more time to that one-on-one. -on -one. I think so, too. I think maybe later in the show, as, like, it narrows down and, they, you know, there just aren't as many guys, I do think that you see an episode where one guy – is her attention, but I think they did give a lot of time to that date, and I'm, I'm really glad that they did. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Tom, I, I think that that was a little bit unusual. Um, so before the date kind of continues on, we do have, they do a quick, um, they pan back to the guys at the house, and what's going on at the house, and they announce the next group date, and Noah is upset because he's not on that group date, date card. Um, and the men then get super annoyed with Noah that he's annoyed. Thoughts on this? Does Noah, should Noah have said that? Do they deserve to be annoyed? Which, tell me about, what do you think about this drama? I mean, I'm not trying to offend Noah. I'm not the biggest fan of him. Um, and you know, yeah, they were accusing him of being greedy since he'd been on the last one, but I mean, at the end of the day, he's there to be Latasha, not hang out at the house. And so I think, I mean, they're all disappointed if their name isn't on the date card and he just was a little more vocal about it, I guess. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I'm just not a fan of that guy right <laughs> off the bat. I don't know if they if they actually put someone out there that's often an instigator, which okay, I'm okay with a little bit of instigation. You know, he he um, yeah, he kind of got on my nerves in much the same way that I think he did to the rest of the guys uh, in the group. So I didn't have sympathy for him not getting invited on that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I didn't feel sorry for him, but I also like understand that like he he would just be disappointed, like you said, McCullough, right? Like, um, but I also think it's always a little bizarre that they like set these rules as the group of guys almost with each other. And then they get mad at each other <laughs> about these things. But I also am sort of like, eh, they got nothing else going on. Might as well get riled up, create something interesting. So, um, but yeah, so then we're bit taken back to Ivan and Tasha's date and Ivan reveals a lot about his family. He 
he tells um, he tells his family story, and we we learn about his dad, and we learn about his um, brother and his responsibility that he feels to his siblings. Um, and kind of on a side note, you know, we decided to do this poll like on Twitter: who has it the hardest, the oldest, the middle, or the younger? And you know. I think our results came in favor of the oldest having it the most difficult. Um, I am an oldest child, so I think that's correct. Bill disagreed. He's a middle child. He thinks the poll got it wrong. I told him that he was wrong, um, that it is, in fact, the oldest child. <laughs> so, like, what do you all think? How does it play out in your family? Do you believe in birth order stuff? I mean, I'm the oldest, um, and I would say that, I definitely maybe had more like expectations or um, I would not say my brother has it the hardest and he's the younger. <laughs> <laughs> but he did very nicely contribute to your band name. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tom? You have some siblings, yeah? Yes, I have uh, two older sisters and, and so I am the youngest and I, I definitely would say it was probably the, e and they would be quick to say it was the easiest on me also but I mean there's it depends on how we define hardest too right so for example I think from the perspective of your parents often are tougher on you with the rules then that's probably true with the oldest um, I do think it's also possible that if your oldest is oldest is really successful that you might have some it might be hard in the extent well how do I live up to that part even though like the rules might be more lax around the house you might be constantly comparing yourself to that older sibling Mm -hmm. I honestly had kind of the perfect situation because there is a little bit of an age gap between my sisters. So by the time, you know, by the time I was hitting those important teenage years, they were in college and they were always looking out for me. So in my case, it was definitely, it couldn't have been easier because I had four people that actually were completely in my corner at all times. So yeah, I would say in general, that's, I'd say the middle are the oldest definitely have. I, I can only say for sure that the easiest the youngest has it easiest from my perspective <laughs> no see i i wonder if my youngest so i have two younger sisters i'm the oldest and um they're three and seven years younger than me and um it's so funny because i think that we'd all probably argue that we have it the hardest you know um uh we have a really close relationship for a while you know we've spent a lot of our adult life living apart um but we got to they both moved to cedar falls for one short year <laughs> last year and um that was wonderful but also you know we got to fight like we are siblings again um which was kind of awesome also <laughs> you know just like to have the opportunity to be around each other enough that we had to negotiate things you know um but yeah so um i i can i i also believe in the birth order stuff i'm definitely pretty bossy i'm independent um i feel a lot of pressure to like take care of other people um you know where I think that my my sister that's in the middle, she feels left out a lot, you know, like things like that. So I think there's definitely some, I'm going to make Bill research it for us and, and tell us what the research is. But I think there's a little bit of truth to some of the birth order research. So, yeah. So it takes us back to this really heartfelt conversation that they have about, you know, things going on in the world. They, um, describe the impact of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matters 
movement on their lives um, and talk about, they're both um, biracial individuals and kind of talk about um, what this last year has been for them. Um, what did you all think about that moment? I mean, that was also super rare for this show. Um, the only other time I can really think of that was kind of comparable to this was, I think it was Kaylin when she was like opening up about how she had been like sexually assaulted. Um, but yeah, typically they are not talking about much of value. Um, so I thought it was really important and was glad they spent a good portion of time on it. Absolutely. Any thoughts, Tom? Well, I, you know, one of the things I wonder if, you know, it's also possible that maybe there have been more significant conversations in the past, but they get edited out because it might not be what um, the public is, what the producers think the public wants their show to even have some. But in a year like 2020, it just seems impossible to ignore these events, even for the people that might be interested in ignoring those sort of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I do think it's really significant that they had that. And it seemed like your word that you started this genuine. with was genuine. I mean, it did seem like to me, again, I don't have a whole history of the show to compare it to, but it did seem like an elevated conversation about really important events that certainly would be much more, would be extremely relevant to the two people on that date. Um, and so I think it's, it just, hopefully for a lot of people, they can hear some of that through um, their voices. And um, yes, yeah, so I thought it was a really important conversation and I'm glad they, they had that. It was certainly one of the highlights of the episode for me. Yeah. Absolutely. I would agree. And, and this is, this is my extra credit for the day. And um, I normally do finger guns, but out of respect <laughs> to Bill, I will not be doing any finger guns this episode. So instead I'll do twinkle fingers. <laughs> so extra credit time and, and sorry, not sorry. My extra credit is going to be a little bit longer today. And I think for me, um, this topic deserves sort of the space and time. And so I'm, I'm going to give it that just like the show did. So um, a little side note, a lo lot of my research, I, I explained that I study performance as a particular mode of communication and how it's used for problem solving, community building, and social justice work. And so I look around, I research a lot of things around identity related issues and activism and social change. Um, and, you know, a little unrelated to that, I do think this was a huge moment for the Bachelor franchise. I also, to be very dramatic, just like the show, um, I would say that this is actually a really important moment in um, US television. And my argument for that is this. Um, there aren't many times that we get together and watch together anymore, right? We have lots of channel options. We can watch on Hulu or Netflix or ABC.com the day after. So you don't have to watch things together. So there's fewer opportunities for us to gather and witness things together. The Super Bowl or maybe even elections um, are one of those times that we still get together and watch together. So if you're not a football fan, you might still watch the Super Bowl. If you don't watch the Super Bowl, you still might show up to watch the halftime show. 
And one thing that's really interesting about Bachelor fans is that there's kind of this commitment to watching live, right? Pre-COVID especially, like with all the Bachelor watch parties, a lot of people watch live so that they can tweet. They don't want to read spoilers the next day. And so it's kind of this experience of watching together. And so, um, and it's still one of the most popular television shows that's on. And so I think that it's really important to have a moment like this while we're all sort of witnessing their, their stories, their perspectives, that we can gain empathy for their situation kind of together. So I think that that's really important. Um, so uh, one of the things that uh, I was sort of struck by is, or if I was going to teach a concept, I was teach the concept of intersectionality, which is a basically, it is a theory of both identity and oppression. I would also argue that it's a theory and a practice. So um, intersectionality basically says that our identities, you can't kind of separate, that they're so enmeshed and they're interlaced with systems of oppression and that can be like mutually reinforcing. So for example, a black woman never gets to just be black. She never gets to just be a woman, sorry. She's always gonna be a black woman. Um, one of my colleagues, Kate Palcheski, explains it through the idea of um, baking, right? That if you eat a cake, it's flour, it's butter, it's sugar, you know, it's all of these combinations and you can't separate them out because those things kind of make it. So if, you know, uh, you are biracial, you, you experience the interlocking system of oppression that affect, you know, um, I think Ivan, for example, on Twitter, identified himself as a Blasian, so a Black Asian, I think specifically Black Filipino, if, if I get that right. And yeah. so those things, those system of oppressions that are unique to those identities are always going to be kind of intertwined. Um, so I think that this is a really important moment where um, we get to hear sort of what the experience is like for two biracial, partially black Americans to live in 2020 and um, through racial inequality, through um, racist policing practices, et cetera, et cetera, um, and, and the, the toll that those take. Um, and so if you're really interested in this, like one, I would recommend a few podcasts for you to listen to. So one, there's, if you like Bachelor podcasts, there's um, Two Black Girls in a Rose, wonderful podcast, work through things. Rachel Lindsay, who was the first um, Black lead, she has been such a leader in the Bachelor franchise talking about these issues. And then one of our own um, alumni at UNI, Darod Taylor, you know, Darod, he has a podcast. It's not about The Bachelor in particular, but it is about pop culture and black experiences called Beautiful Black Voices. And I, I encourage you to check it out. I also want to kind of, if you're interested in, if you're interested in reading a few things, um, some essays written by some of my colleagues. So, um, and if you need access to these articles, because you're not a college student or you don't have access to an academic library, shoot us an email at batchadamia at gmail.com and we can hook you up with those articles. 
But so one is, um, I want to make sure my colleague, Amber Johnson, they are amazing. And they have an essay called, let me make sure I get this right really quickly. Um, Radical Imagination via Play, the Future of Critical Cultural Studies. Um, Amber is the founder of the Justice Fleet and is a professor at St. Louis University. You might know them. They competed on Ninja Warrior and were also part of an Under Armour campaign. So they have multiple talents and a very interesting life. But um, in this essay, they talk about the Justice Fleet and how they use imagination and play as a way to engage people in um, racial healing and radical forgiveness. And they have a lot of other really amazing scholarship, um, do a lot of work actually on gender and sexuality as well, if you're interested. Then um, I highly would recommend, um, there's a piece by Karma Chavez called Remapping Latinidad, a performance of cartography of Latina, Latino identity in rural Nebraska. And I really love this piece because I think that particularly as an Iowan, I think a lot about what a unique experience it must be for people of color living in Iowa. So I think about, um, so our, our community, Cedar Falls, Waterloo was voted, was named a couple of years ago as the worst place for black people to live, second worst place for black people to live in the United States, number one being um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and we all know Kenosha now. Um, and I think about how often, you know, for particularly black people in Waterloo, you're not quite having the experience of rural people of color, but you're not quite having the urban experience of, you know, black people in Chicago. It's like somewhere in between, um, it's sort of an experience. And, and so one of the pieces that the reason that I love this Latinidad piece is, um, Dr. Chavez talks about um, her own experience and her own family's experience being, for her being Latina in a rural place and how Latina dad is often described as a border city um, and not necessarily connected to an experience of being in a rural space. And so I think that that's really important. And then finally, um, a, a good friend of mine and colleague um, has a piece called um, towards critical nostalgia, performing African-American genealogical memory. And it's about um, wonderful work on DNA testing and what makes race <laughs> and memory and nostalgia work. And it's, it's a really beautiful piece. So if you're interested in reading those, let me know. And then I'm going to give myself a bit of a shout out here. Um, January 25th, we're launching a program at UNI called Cultivating Justice a quest towards racial equity. You can learn more about it at quest.uni.edu. And um, it's a six week program that will move you through materials created by and for people in the Cedar Valley that are working towards, that will work you towards racial justice. And um, it's just really exciting to see all the wonderful things that are produced and being done in our community to better address um, racial equity. So um, check that out. 
But anyway, so that is my twinkle fingers. <laughs> that is my extra credit for today. Oh, I think, oh no, I think I, I snuck in a finger gun there. Bill, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, he's going to be so disappointed in me. So, um, do you all see a potential connection between Tasia and Ivan? Ivan? I definitely did. I really liked them together and could see it working, yeah, past the show. Yeah, I definitely, I, I kind of like the two of them together. And, you know, one of the things I think about, too, with the point you've been making here, Danielle, is that a lot of times you'll see a show that'll have, made, that'll, they'll try to put in a political message or a social economic message or, or that sort of thing. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily ring true, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems a little forced on, on scripted TV shows in some cases, but that's what I thought was great about this particular episode because it definitely seemed like a very organic conversation about an extremely significant topic. So I think there was, there was a genuine aspect to your word again that, that, that resonated with that particular episode um, and the discussion of that topic. And then also that in the, you know, I've often wondered about shows like these as what we think of as normal paths or developments in relationships, if they're accelerated based on this kind of format, right? I might not get one-on-one -on -one with this person again for two weeks. So let me divulge a lot of information about myself. Um, but this, you know, they went from the play to having fun to sort of the lighthearted stuff to then more in-depth conversations. And, and, and the fact that they, they both seem to be very much uh, on the same page during that process, I think is indicative of the potential for a, a deeper connection in the show. But, you know, it could be the producer setting us up down the road. I don't know. But I, it certainly seemed like a potential connection there. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. And I definitely think that there are a lot more Ivan fans out there now. So um, he's just so wholesome. It was wonderful. So, you know, at this point, other than a few tensions that are maybe foreshadowing some other drama, there hasn't been a whole lot brewing. So um, it's pretty drama free. Um, but to keep things on brand, <laughs> we're then taken to a group date. Um, and we have a. Uh, Special guest visits from Becca and Sydney, um, fans of both of them. So I was excited to see them. Um, and they lead a game of truth and dare. And so the, the game starts with the dare portion. So let's talk about this a bit. I know it's been on your mind, um, Tom. So let's talk about these shakes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. I think if you're ever faced with that situation, never choose the the smoothie that looks the tastiest. That's just a recipe for disaster. You know, they all chose like the bright red one, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, don't don't do that. So absolutely, that was uh, that was, and I'm just like I'm drawn to people eating things they shouldn't eat, like ghost peppers. I mean, it's I, I get enjoyment watching some of those type things. But at the same time, um, I, I'm, I personally would have a very hard time choking that down. And I mean, and is it like a sip enough? I know. That's or a swallow? You got to well, down the whole thing? Those were some big shakes. And I, like on James Corden's show where he has kind of a similar thing. Yeah, it's disgusting foods, but they just have to take one bite out of it, not 
make it through a whole smoothie. I don't think I would want to look and see what was in it. Yeah. Right. Like I don't want to lift that up and go, Oh, there's cow intestines and scorpion in this. Mm -mm. Heck yeah. no. I'm just like going to oh, hope that I think it's just like raspberry. <laughs> you know, it actually reminded me of one of my, probably one of my top 10 TV series of all times. If you, of all time, freaks and geeks, it didn't last very long. And there's the episode where the, the younger yeah. geeks are in the kitchen and they're throwing everything in this blender. And sure enough, Bill just straight up drinks it all and smiles afterwards. And I'm thinking, well, that takes a special person that can. <laughs> and he's fully aware of all the ingredients, just like these folks were when they picked up the smoothie cup and looked at the, the little label at the bottom. I hope they at least used a good blender, you know, so that like, you know, get a Vitamix or a Blendtec in there. By the way, we'll take sponsorship. Um, but like, you know, just just so that like, you know that it's really well grinded. You know, I don't want chunks of scorpion. No. Well, it makes me wonder if Google searches of water scorpions increase after an episode of The Bachelorette, because I know I Googled water scorpions to- What do to they just, look like? Tell me about them. Well, okay, so water scorpions. <laughs> yeah, so they apparently they they do have like a little uh, proboscis looking stuff that looks maybe like a scorpion, but they're actually if you just saw one on your own down by the creek, you'd assume it's just some insect. I don't think you'd assume it's an actual scorpion or part of the scorpion family. But Are you know, scorpions but yeah. crustaceans. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of, of that, but um, cell like stuff, you know, because I think that that's what really I mean. It's the idea of like ground up shell that I'm like freaking out. Yeah, no one wants that. I mean, you know, like when you hear of them dipping a what flash frying a cricket and dipping it in chocolate, I can imagine myself. I wouldn't choose to eat that, but I could imagine myself finding a way to eat that under a challenge. But yeah, I do not I want to go for it. He I would don't want totally, to grab like, I mean, he he would definitely want it to be like a bet or a dare, but like he would go for it. So yeah. yeah. So then the next section that I I know a father and daughter really want to talk about, <laughs> um, but is so the the fake orgasms, right? So like I am unconvinced that any of these guys have like had an actual <laughs> orgasm. Um. Oh, it was so disturbing. Um, the for me was when they'd show the other guys back at the house, like their reactions, because they obviously have no idea what's going on in the day and just hear that being broadcasted. Oh my gosh, the the comment that they made, like, they're like, Blake need go to church. And I was like, <laughs> I thought that, that was really well yeah. played. But the whole time, like, was it Kenny, right? Was it Kenny who started? I think he was the first. Yeah, he, I like that whole thing. I was just like uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, my, are my yeah. kids around? Do I like need to mute this for a little bit? Like, is is this sexual sounding or like d did someone stub their toe? I don't know. Um, oh, it was something. And then, um, so then we, I guess, do you have other comments about the fake orgasms? Well, uncomfortable was like my runner up for one word description <laughs> of the show, because I think it'd be uncomfortable 
even under normal circumstances. But yeah, when you're watching it with your daughter, uh, you know, but you're watching the bachelorette. So I'm sure you have to somehow mentally prepare yourself for, for what's about to, to occur. So, yeah. One of my, uh, one of my favorite like memes of the week was like all these, like, it's like Kenny holding the phone, like, you know, screaming into it with his mouth open it. But then like people are like labeling different things. It's like him calling home after he gets kicked off the show, like, <laughs> and, and all these different like captionings of it that I really found quite fun. So then they make them eat. So if they haven't had them ingest enough already, they make them eat, you know, spicy peppers and then propose. <laughs> Um, thoughts on their spicy proposals? <laughs> well, again, I like to watch people uh, eat hot things. There's that, that one famous show where they progressively get hotter and hotter, and it's an interview segment. Um, but I kind of like that. Uh, yeah, hot. Yeah, exactly. But I kind of like that element. I mean, good for them to be willing to to just eat a pepper and then get down there and propose. That was pretty good. The one thing I want to say about all this, Danielle, is someone who grew up in the South, um, I don't remember any lessons in the three years that they sent me to Cotillion where I learned proper manners and proper <laughs> dating. Um, it was a time where they didn't have to say, don't loudly simulate orgasms. Uh, don't propose after hot peppers. I mean, they didn't have to include those sort of things in the educational experience, but I want, I, it makes me wonder what a 2020 cotillion looks like down South. If we have to specifically reinforce these kind of ideas about don't do these things anymore. Well, like what were they supposed to learn? You know, like, I mean, I think like, what did we learn that like Blake is flexible? I mean, like we didn't, I'm always like, what is it that you're learning from this? That's like helpful for you in terms of determining if you have a compatible relationship. And then the proposals for me, asking someone to even fake propose when like the reality of a real proposal could be on the table makes me just a little squeamish well and when you've known the person for like two weeks <laughs> yeah yeah well and so then i was like kind of surprised now i i would inter be interested because we had connie on a few episodes back and she sent us an email and she was like oh remember when like bennett was like so into claire and i was like i i feel like bennett is like falling for Tasha in one a way i don't think I really realized Bennett could have emotions but you know like this like proposal seemed to have like create feelings for him and I like to think of him as like a cartoon character <laughs> and so it was like weird for me that he had like emotions wait which one was Bennett again if you don't mind me asking Harvard Harvard but didn't he I I think in the song portion at least two of them's in two of them in the song portions also ended with a proposal. Oh, like, so where they went and said like, "When you marry me," or did something oh, like that. Like so it was very much a, yeah. a a sort of a theme of the episode is the simulated proposals. Yeah, Absolutely. among other simulated things. Well, so the, I also wanted to bring up like <laughs> Chris Harrison, like sitting there just like all, <laughs> I loved it, like eating lobster. I'm like Chris Harrison has like the best gig. Um, oh, absolutely. oh, I just like, I mean, who, 
I like want to be as cool as Chris Harrison. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty cool. He's pretty cool. So we have these playful dares, but then the group moves to a more somber truth portion of the date. Um, and one of the conversations I thought that was kind of interesting was her and Blake. So in it, you know, she's like, sort of like, well, what's, you know, like, what's wrong with you? And, you know, what would your exes say about you or something like that? And he's like, oh, my exes, like, all love me. <laughs> and, and like, I was kind of like, mm. <laughs> so like, what, you know, what's your thoughts on this? Like, do you think it was being truthful for one? Maybe some of his exes. Um, obviously, I mean, he's not going to tell her, like, oh, yeah, we ended on, we've all ended on horrible terms and don't speak. But, yeah, I'd be interested to hear his exes side of the story. Absolutely. I don't even fully understand what would constitute an ex in 2020, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not like, is it is it a long dating relationship and then their ex? Is it just a random we hung out together for a few nights and that counts as exes yeah, because you wouldn't call that an ex? See, I don't even know all the terminology associated with that. But uh, you know, having been married for twenty nine years, it's I, I, it's hard to even imagine what you know. I'm I'm not friends with any of my exes. Not that I had a bunch of exes, but um, yeah. I mean, I don't. I I, I think it's probably still possible today, but probably not at the not all of them would rave about about him as a person yeah. probably i just was sort of like i feel like i don't know if i trust that he was telling the full truth there but you know i also have this question you know of do you think that you know in a heteronormative culture do you think that men and women can just be friends this would be a great question for bill to to drop some education on us but um you know what given our sort of lay position <laughs> do you think that you can one can you be friends with your exes but can men and women in a heteronormative culture be friends i absolutely think so um some of my closest friends are the guy friends i made in college and none of them live in iowa city anymore but we still have remained super close and it's never been anything more than a friendship on both sides. Um, and I think, I think it's really valuable to have close friends of both sexes. Thanks, McCullough. What do you think, Tom? You said that you're not, you're definitely not friends with any of your exes 29, 30, you know, years later. No, I mean, I, I had a, yeah, no, I would not. I mean, maybe on Facebook friends with, uh, you know, yeah. I, no um yeah it's hard to know how to answer that uh because part of that part of what's interesting about that question i think it isn't always about like like how i am still friends with exes mm -hmm. but how does your new partner potentially respond to your friendship with exes mm -hmm. Absolutely. you know so, so that's a dynamic that i think would have to be negotiated and probably depends pretty highly on the extent of the trust that you have uh, with each other, right? I'm talking about in the new yeah. relationship. I mean, certainly I think it's possible and I think it would probably be a much healthier thing if we did have really good relationships with people that had been significant portions of our lives at some point in it. Um, 
but at the same time, if you're with a new person, you have to figure out how that relationship is going and how accepting they might be of you having, I mean, I'm sure there's romantic comedies out there that address this very issue. Um, probably, probably not very well. Right. But you know, that they exist. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I am Facebook friends with several of my exes with two of them. Um, and actually like, I really like it. Like I like to get to see they're, you know, they're both married and have beautiful families now. And I love watching their kids grow up. And, um, you know, I'm not like going to call them up and have an intimate conversation with them. Um, but I, I think it is sort of fun to see where their lives have taken them. Um, in terms of being friends with the opposite sex, or I kind of, I don't like that term very much, but with like, um, guys, I guess for me, I think at different points in your life, it's maybe easier to navigate than others. Like I, too, you know, I've been married for 15 years and I feel like the boundaries are pretty clear. So it's easy, you know, anybody that, you know, I'm going to meet or have a friendship with probably knows my husband probably, you know, knows that I've been married for a while. So I think the boundaries are kind of there in a way that's really helpful. Um, uh, and then I would say, but I would say that most of my male friends are either people I work with or are mutual friends of Ryan's and I's. I don't have like a really close male friend that isn't in one of those categories. Right. So, um, I just, I, the reason I say, you know, in a heteronormative culture too is. I, I don't think that we sometimes ask this question of, you know, gay folks, for example, if a gay man is friends with another gay man, we, we wouldn't automatically like assume, uh, potentially romantic fr like feelings, um, in a way that we oftentimes maybe do with men and women. So, um, but anyway, so so Ben goes on a secret mission. I, by the way, love that he's like, I'm on a secret mission. <laughs> um, to win Tasha's love after blowing it last week by not being bold enough and pulling her aside at the cocktail party. So he misses out. But Ed is also on a mission to meet with Tasha. But Ed ends up having a date with Chris Harrison <laughs> instead. So what did you all think about this part? Like, what were your thoughts? I mean, I thought it was absolutely staged on Blake's end. I don't think he accidentally wound up at Chris Harrison's place. Um, but I thought, I mean, Ben, usually when they do make kind of a statement like that, a lot of times it does go in their favor. And I think Taisha really liked that he came over and now maybe it's going to make him stand out a little. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the first rule of any secret mission is know where you're going or what the mission is. So, I mean, clearly there was some sort of, <laughs> of setup there. But it led to some humor, right, sitting there drinking. I, I was just blown away at, like, the, the hours that they were mentioning. Oh, it's 2.45 in the morning. I'm like, well, what are you doing? I mean, I'm 51 now, so, like, 2.45. I had to wait till the house the other guys went to bed. Oh, okay. Well, still, though, it's like I, I don't want anyone knocking on my door at 2.45, you know, for any reason. I did feel like Chris Harrison was like like a grumpy dad a little. Like, yeah. oh, 
kids, kids coming home, drunk in the middle of the night. I, you know, I guess I'll sit down and chat with them for a bit, you know, but uh, I love that moment. It felt very staged to me in terms of like how they did the editing too, because I had this question. I was like, were like, was Ben out at the same time as Egg? Cause like they almost set it up. Like it's like they're walking at the same exact time, but different paths. Mm -hmm. um, so I had some questions about that, but what do you think about Ben's apology, Tasha's reaction to it? Like, what's your thoughts? I mean, back to your word, I thought it was genuine. Um, and I thought that it really had kind of been weighing on him since he disappointed her and he, um, yeah, had really been hoping for an opportunity to talk to her and obviously wasn't invited on any of the other group dates. And so I had to make that moment for himself. But I thought it was, yeah, a genuine apology. Yeah. I liked it also. I don't have any additional things to add about that particular moment. <laughs> so, McCullough, I have a question for you as a young person. On these shows, they just keep saying, show up. He's got to show up. I'm going to show up. I'm going to all this show up talk. And I'm like, is this like, like, is this what happens when like yoga gets popularized? Like, where did this language come from? Is showing up whatever generation I'm like lost at what generation we're on, but is this like an important thing or terminology to your generation? <laughs> Not in my experience. It seems like it is limited to the Bachelor franchise. It's not something I've ever heard used in terms of relationships from anyone I've talked to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, showing up seems like the absolute least you can actually do in a situation. That just means you're present in, in many ways. But I realize it has... Uh, you know, there's, I guess, a much deeper connotation there, right? So it's not, it's like, it's like bad actually meaning good versus bad meaning bad, which was probably popular in, in the 80s in some extent. But, um, you know, my son, her brother, he throws out all these terms that, that I, they seem so divorced from reality in terms of what the actual meaning of it is now that it's almost impossible to keep up with the various phrases. Well, like the only place I hear show up is I do like this yoga program and it's like, show up to your mat. And so like, I keep, every time I hear like show up, I'm like, we're doing yoga. <laughs> um, but, and that kind of made sense with Claire to me, but like, it just keeps going. Um, so next we go to this rose ceremony. I was shocked by the guy she let go home. So Joe, Kenny, Jordan, and Chasen went home rest in peace joe like joe for bachelor 2022 i don't know um 2021 i get i don't know whenever but um what do you all think about that i mean some of them i wasn't surprised by they hadn't received much airtime, and that's usually a good clue that they won't be sticking around but i i was surprised that she kept ed i kind of could have seen him going home. I don't see a connection between the two of them at all, um, especially that he stayed over, yeah, like Joe or some of those others that she let go. You know, frankly, I was so, I was still, if I recall this, I was still steamed about Noah 
with all his, you know, undermining the rest of the guys by acting like they were all questioning Hayes' integrity. I that was still going through my mind that the actual Rose part of it, I think, didn't connect as much to me because again, I haven't seen as many episodes, so I didn't have any sort of expectation set up for the guys that she ended up letting go. And I was just still thinking about that little troublemaker Noah and what he's going to be instigating over the next couple weeks. Well, and usually the tactic would be that he would go to her and kind of try to get her to feel bad for him. Like, Oh, the guys have been like kind of being mean to me in the house, but he did the opposite and was like, Well, oh, you could have just stopped me. there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they're questioning you and yeah. Ruined the whole night because of it. Uh, as Connie said in her email to us, Noah the liar. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. How how are you gonna keep Ed? How are you gonna keep Noah? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, before we sort of wrap this up, describe the episode in one sentence. Oh, I need to think about these things ahead of time. One <laughs> sentence. Wrap up the episode. Hmm. I don't know. I just thought about, um, let's see, just, just, uh, a focus on music, water scorpions and questioned integrity. I mean, I, that's, it's not so much a great sentence, just a series of things that were, that stood out to me from the episode. And again, like I just mentioned a while ago, the whole question integrity thing, just, I really couldn't even focus on the rest of the show because I'm still thinking about how I would feel about Noah if I had to spend any time with him. Um, so yeah, that, that's maybe it for me. Yeah. I would just say that it had some surprisingly real and unique Mm -hmm. moments that you don't often see when watching this show. Absolutely. I think that it, I think it kind of was a historic moment for the bachelor franchise. And I guess my sentence would be like, if you're looking for Tasia's love, show up, have real conversations and be bold. (laughs) So really quick before we end this episode, one, I want to say thank you all so much for coming and being our guest today. Um, It was a joy chatting with you all. Um, Also really quick uh, correction. Uh, Last week, Bill said that was talking about the book girl wash your face and said that the author was Brene Brown. That is incorrect. The author is Rachel Hollis. Don't treat Brene Brown that way. (laughs) But uh, so we just wanted to quick make that correction that Girl Wash Your Face is authored by Rachel Hollis. And um, I hope everybody's enjoying the holiday week. I can't wait to see what goes down next week. (laughs) Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Bachadamia with your hosts, Drs. Daniel Dick McGue and Bill Henniger. All opinions expressed on this show are solely the opinion of the person who spoke them. If you like our podcast, please consider following us, leaving us a five-star rating, and a positive review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, please share with your friends, family, and other ardent Bachelor content lovers. If you have comments or questions you would like us to address on the show, you can email us at bachadamia at gmail.com or on the Twitter with the handle at Thanks for listening.